Chapter 14. The Secrets of a Weight Clinic Robert Morgan, nurse practitioner who practiced in the Houston area, contributed this chapter, and it was edited by the first author. He attracted patients who failed elsewhere. Texas is the 10th most obese state, and we are pitifully overweight. I've been fighting this for over 30 years, and I've been losing. Against my efforts stand big food, doctors, big pharma, and meddling government. This cabal wittingly or unwittingly caused the international obesity crisis. They subsidized sugary corn products, opposed fat consumption, and have cold-shouldered effective treatments including diet pills and thyroid hormone. I have had minor victories patient by patient, and these have cost me years of struggle. No one is sure about the cause of the obesity pandemic, but the national directive to decrease dietary fat came out at about the same time we got really overweight. This is not a coincidence. It is a cause. Other theories went as far afield as blaming bacteria in the intestine, but for me, walking into any grocery store or convenience mart makes it obvious that the core problem is corporate food production. Who can resist the tastes, the color, the packaging, and the marketing? Everything is sweet, fat, and salty. To put the obesity disaster into context, compare us with people in Korea and Japan. Americans who travel there are shocked. Everyone looks fit. You can see their back and leg muscles through the clothes. Food habits must be more powerful than corporate influences there. Even within the U.S., obesity rates vary from 23% in Colorado to 37% in Arkansas. These cultural differences must be a clue to causes. The corporations are making us fat as well. Many antidepressants, diabetic medications, and synthetic hormones cause weight gain. Paid-up doctors and direct advertising force-feed us these drugs and others. The Food and Drug Administration's function is to oversee both industries, but big food and big pharma control it with funding. Since the FDA is incompetent as well as compromised, it does many wrong things, and all this makes us fatter. See Martha Rosenberg's book, Born with a Junk Food Deficiency, published in 2012 for more. The result is many of us have an addiction to food as powerful as others have to opioids. The morbidly obese die just like drug overdoses. I have no prayer of getting rid of marketing or food packaging. Individual patients' cooperation limits my ability to take them off harmful medications. So I do what I can with diet pills, which suppress appetite and aid weight loss. There's a catch. Patients gain the weight back unless their metabolism is normal or made normal using hormone supplementation. Thyroid deficiency is epidemic, and testosterone levels have been falling in our entire population. Decline of these two contributes to obesity. Replacing them for deficient people is the most effective way to keep weight off long term, but most doctors ignore this. Hormone replacement can kick off a gradual weight loss that continues for a decade. It works without other prescriptions, but some patients benefit from using diet pills. These are not ideal solutions, but our lives are being threatened. My program works. Many of my patients have sustained a healthy weight for years. The drug industry dictates the beliefs of traditionally trained doctors, and I have had an uphill battle against them. They vilify thyroid for weight loss and claim it is not the, quote, standard of care. They push expensive medications and oppose simple solutions. I have suffered complaints to the medical board and have been threatened with lawsuits because I prescribe hormones. 
In my darker moments, I wonder if these forces oppose anything that really works. Thyroid has the potential to improve the lives of up to a third of older adults. People taking it feel more energetic, their cholesterol improves, and they sometimes lose weight. I prescribe it routinely for those who have deficiency symptoms. Some of these people have accepted laboratory abnormalities and others have test results I believe are abnormal, but that endocrinologists would likely ignore. I teach my patients the following basics. Taking thyroid does not guarantee weight loss, but if you need thyroid, you need thyroid. If you diet and exercise and still cannot lose weight, then you probably have a slow metabolism or low thyroid, which makes weight loss impossible. I measure both T4 and T3 and try to optimize both. TSH is nearly a useless test, and TSH, quote, suppression causes no issues. With thyroid replacement, the moment the patient feels better, their TSH is always low. Most people lose weight with thyroid because they have more energy and they're getting up and moving. Many overweight patients need thyroid supplementation. If they lose weight with diet and exercise, they will gain the weight back when they stop compensating unless they take thyroid hormone. Surgical cures for weight loss usually fail if thyroid issues are left untreated. Endocrinologists refuse to prescribe thyroid for most obese patients. Here are their words. Variations in thyroid function, even with normal tests, contribute to the development of regional obesity and the tendency to gain weight. Thyroid hormones have been inappropriately and frequently used in attempts to induce weight loss in obese euthyroid, that's normal thyroid, subjects. They should not be used to control body weight except in obese hypothyroid subjects. They are right, but their definition of abnormal is wrong. Many people over 40 are mildly hypothyroid and would benefit from supplementation. What about the diet pills? These got a black eye after FinFin was withdrawn from the market when Finfluramine was implicated in heart valve problems and pulmonary hypertension. This led to more than $13 billion in litigation costs. Fintermine, the second drug, is still available. It causes neither addiction nor withdrawal. It is FDA-approved for short-term use. This is generally interpreted as less than three months, but it is safe and effective for longer periods. For many more references substantiating this, see Dr. E.J. Hendricks' website. Studies of fentermine combined with topiramate, another weight loss medication, show no adverse effects on the heart. About 5% of patients have mild side effects. These include dry mouth, dizziness, taste distortion, insomnia, and constipation. This This combination is patented and expensive. Topiramate is not very effective and has disadvantages, so I rarely prescribe it. Fentermine is generic, which keeps it cheap. But the drug corporations have no motivation to legitimize it with studies. It is safe and predictable, however, and I have one of the largest experiences in the U.S. prescribing it. Weight loss improves blood pressure, insulin sensitivity, and cholesterol. And weight gain predicts premature death. COVID is more likely to kill you if you are fat. I'm not claiming that diet pills are an ideal treatment for obesity, but something must be done. We are being slaughtered by the food and drug companies. How can we consider taking thyroid or fentermine risky 
when obesity surgeons kill between 1 in 166 and 1 in 1,000 of their stomach-stapling patients. What are our priorities? Are we the fattest nation in the world? How many obese people die every day from diabetes, high blood pressure, and heart disease? Do the high-tech drugs from the medical industry work? Metformin was invented in 1922 and remains our best oral diabetes medication. It is safe, inexpensive, it modestly aids weight loss, and it may even extend lifespan. Metformin was the fourth most commonly used drug in 2018. I offer it to most of my obese patients, but half of them get diarrhea and abdominal pain and quit taking it. The drug industry markets the, quote, glucagon-like peptide-1 agonists, GLP-1 drugs, for obesity treatment. I prescribed them for several years before I understood that they are marketing successes but patient failures. Most doctors, however, think they are worthwhile. You be the judge. One, these medications aid weight loss but have significant risks. Two, six of the seven require injection. Three, they cost over $1,000 a month each. Four, the FDA says we should not use them until both metformin and another older drug have been tried. Five, like metformin, they have significant side effects. For example, one of these drugs, Victorza, costs $1,126 a month. It frequently produces nausea, dizziness, low blood sugar, abdominal pain, and injection site pain. It is also associated with thyroid cancer, pancreatitis, gallbladder disease, angioedema, and kidney toxicity. Public Citizen, the Ralph Nader Consumer Watchdog Group, wanted it banned because they said the risks were higher than the benefits. Victorza's manufacturer, Novo Nordisk, has settled criminal cases with federal prosecutors for tens of millions of dollars. These involved allegations of bribery and other crimes. Search for the Norvo No Disc criminal record on Wikipedia. They also spent $58.65 million in 2017 to pay off whistleblower lawsuits. These alleged that the company had promoted and sold Victorza for uses that were not on the product label, which is illegal for patented drugs. Settlements like these are just another day in the life of these huge corporations. Physicians have been studying fentermine for over half a century. We know it is safe. The GLP-1 drugs have been around only for a decade, and their toxicities are obvious. But somehow, most doctors have been brainwashed into believing that fentermine is too dangerous for common usage. So they prescribe these industry-supported, heavily advertised alternatives. My opinions are contrary to the herds, but my experience is massive. No pharmaceuticals are ideal for obesity except for hormones for symptomatic deficiencies. Although the new diabetic medications have some positive effects, they are a net loser and should be banned. What about diet and exercise? Food producers make marketing claims that lack of exercise is the underlying issue in obesity to draw attention away from their misdeeds and smother calls for regulation. Of course, no cure-all exists for diet. The keto idea, for example, is often unsustainable. I recommend sensible food, decreased carbohydrate consumption, and frequent exercise. Author's note about high-fat diets. Starting in the 1970s, Robert Atkins promoted a diet of high-fat, moderate protein, and minimal carbohydrates. 
He directed patients to consume meats, eggs, and vegetables with no fruits or starch. There was no restriction on quantity or calories. Those who try this have a difficult few weeks until they adapt. After this, they feel a surge of energy and well-being. Rapid weight loss is typical. Doctors sometimes check their patients' progress with urine ketones, hence the name keto diet. Does it work? Wikipedia parrots the mainstream opinion, claiming that the diet has been discredited and that long-term results are poor. But a growing subculture of keto science and successes is building. Fellow travelers include the CrossFit community. Those who continue with the strict guidelines lose weight. They have a dramatic improvement in blood insulin and other tests and can often stop diabetic and hypertension medications. Adkins recommended an eventual return to more moderate eating. But if most of these people eat so much as a strawberry, they fail the diet and go back to the way they were. We have an unprecedented health calamity that requires novel solutions. Traditional reduced-calorie and high-carbohydrate diets are nearly universal failures. Although many people do not tolerate keto diets or controlled fasting, I still think they are worth trying. Robert Morgan on fasting. I weighed 220 pounds for 10 years, then lost 32 pounds in 8 weeks using the one meal a day, OMAD, plan. This means I consumed the food I ate for 24 hours during a two-hour feeding window. The rest of the time, I didn't eat. My waist measurement went from 44 to 32 inches. I've kept the weight off for over a year. Since then, I've been coaching my patients about controlled fasting and the OMAD. Some benefit from simply restricting their eating to eight hours a day or just cutting out their eating after 6 p.m., the enormous advantage of fasts is they do not slow the metabolism. Ordinary diets decrease the metabolic rate permanently, which makes obesity also permanent. I instruct my patients to listen to podcasts such as the one by Jen Stevens or eatmostlyfat.com, which is hosted by a cardiologist. I also have them read Jason Fung's book to learn more. His patients stop most drugs lower their cholesterol, and often eliminate diabetes. What works best for weight loss and health improvement, diet, exercise, or prescription medication? Exercise is a distant third. Of the drugs, metformin helps, but the diabetes agents patented in the past 10 years are failures. Hormone replacement can make a huge difference. Nearly every obese person has deficiencies and can benefit. As for the weight loss diets, the most promising ones are partial and complete fasts, but many people cannot tolerate them. See the next chapter for other recommendations. Extra credit part one, the definition of obesity. The body mass index, BMI, is the traditional measure and has been used for research since the 1800s. This is the weight in kilograms divided by the height in meters. It lumps body fat and lean muscle together and is a poor yardstick for athletes, Asians, and Africans. It does not distinguish the harmless fat under the skin from the more dangerous fat under the abdominal muscle wall near the intestine. This, quote, visceral fat increases the chances of diabetes and heart disease. Since BMI can be normal, even if you are very overweight, some researchers use percentage body fat instead. This relates more closely to heart disease, diabetes, osteoporosis, and premature death. 
It can be measured in several ways, from calipers to the high-tech dual-energy X-ray absorptiometry, DEXA, scans. But simple measurements of waist and neck circumferences may be as good as these other approaches. Each method has different results, but each is useful to evaluate changes and, for the most part, internally consistent. BMI may be the best for studying populations, but we should use fat percentages to follow individuals. Extra credit part two, hormone questionnaires. These will help you communicate with your providers. If you fill them out every few months, you will see your improvement during therapy. And then I put in a couple of hormone and thyroid questionnaires.